Welcome to the APM podcast. APM is the chartered body for the project profession. My name is Emma DeVita and I'm the editor of Project, APM's quarterly journal and your host. In the hot seat today with me is Belinda Palmer, founder and CEO of the Empathy Business, who is also the keynote speaker at APM's Women in Project Management Conference in September. Belinda uses the science of empathy to change the way we lead at work, changing cultures to bring more empowerment to people's lives with a focus on belonging and diversity. Belinda is also the creator of the Global Empathy Index, published in the Harvard Business Review, which is the first index to measure empathy and inclusion at scale. She works alongside CEOs and leaders of large organisations to transform companies using the power of empathy. Her speech to APM members in September triggered a lot of conversations, and I found what she had to say both intriguing and highly useful to the art of project management. So Belinda, welcome. I'm delighted to have you here. Oh, Emma, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, just one thing, unfortunately, it's not a hot seat. It's uh, a cold seat. It's snowing <laughs> in London right now, so I'm pretty freezing. So if you hear my hands rubbing, it's just because I'm freezing. Make sure you have a hot cup of tea next year. <laughs> Let, let's start at the beginning with the basics. How do you define empathy? And could you give an example or two of empathy in action? So the way we define empathy is that it's the emotional impact that a company has on its colleagues, um, but also on its customers. And it's really important that we don't look at empathy just internally or just empathy for clients, because often what happens is, you know, if my son's misbehaving at school, it's because there's a problem at home. So you can't have internal empathy without external empathy and vice versa. Um, so that's how we define it as the emotional impact that a company has on its colleagues and its customers. Um, and there's three different types of empathy. There's cognitive empathy, which is about understanding someone's perspective. There is effective empathy, which is when you feel someone's pain. Um, and then there's behavioral empathy. And this is about when empathy moves you to act. And the second part of your question, which is about empathy and action. So for me, it's all about using empathy to act. It's very different to sympathy. So an example of empathy and action, you know, it's not me, you telling me something sad and me saying, Emma, that's really, really sad. It's me saying, OK, you've got an issue. Let's sit down together. Let's work it through. I will support you. Um, but ultimately, the responsibility and accountability is with you. So that's that's a really important distinction. And that that lack of difference between empathy and sympathy is something I see all the time in companies. Mm, OK, what, why does empathy matter at work and um, why particularly now there's been a lot of talk about empathy and how has that gone from something that people think about kind of as an individual within their own kind of personal lives? How come that now has translated to the world of work and teams? Well, I think empathy matters because we spend 50 years of our lives at work. So that's more time than we get to spend with our kids, our families. So I think for a lot of people, work should be a place of purpose, of meaning, a place where you feel like you have a voice. But the reality is that most of us actually feel that work is not a place where we feel that. So 
um, there's there were some new studies done really where they you know there was a, a large proportion of the UK workforce who said they wouldn't wish their work on their worst enemy. Wow. So yes, for a lot of people. And I can send you the link so we can put the stats in the show note in the podcast notes. Um, but for a lot of people, work has never been, you know, less exciting. And for me, I feel that's really sad, given the amount of time we spend on it. That in terms of whether it's more important now more than ever, I think it's always been there. You know, if you look at they've done lots of experiments with rats, you know, even rats will typically show each other empathy in times of need. So empathy is an innate thing. But what's happened is with work in the pursuit of profit, in the in the way um, organizational design has been created is we've we've knocked out the empathy out of the workplace and what I want to do is transform the workplace to bring more empathy back into it as it should be. Has the kind of effects of the pandemic COVID influenced this at all? Well, it has and it hasn't. I mean, during the pandemic, people were firefighting. So actually, I saw a reduction in companies wanting to kind of look at empathy because everybody was trying to survive. So in that way, at the beginning, we saw... Um, we saw different types of empathy. I mean, it, it's interesting. During the pandemic, we were working for a financial organization, one of Britain's largest banks. What we saw was they empower people a lot more. So we saw an increase in empathy because people were empowered. So people in branches, people who were answering the phones, they were given a lot more autonomy and, and agency. So in that respect, empathy was becoming much more important. I think over during the pandemic, though, we saw that decrease with everybody, you know, worrying and fear and uncertainty. It kind of makes us more cautious and more kind of go into our own shell. So I think we've seen differing levels of empathy. But I feel now as we're coming out of the pandemic, it is definitely becoming a boardroom topic. And that's what I want to see. I want to see it as an agenda item on the board. I want to see it in the corporate financial accounts and, um, you know, that there is a section on empathy for customers, empathy for staff. Interesting that you're mentioning uh, kind of boardrooms there. How seriously are organisations and, and teams or those concerned with creating effective teams, how seriously are they taking empathy? So maybe it'd be helpful if you could tell us the kind of clients you have. You've already mentioned um, a kind of national bank, but could you give us an idea of of how corporates are kind of viewing this now? Well, I think for a lot of corporations, they want to be empathic, but they struggle with, oh, does that mean we're being nice? You know, does that mean we're going to lose <laughs> money? And I think the way that the empathy business, my company comes in is to say, look, they're not mutually exclusive. You could use lots of different tools. Empathy is one lens that will help you ask a slightly different question and get to a slightly different answer. And that slightly different answer we've seen uplifts, uplifts of net promoter score, um, we've seen uplifts in cash to the business by, you know, approximately 30 percent. So all we're really doing is using empathy as a lens and as a tool to drive change in organizations. 
I think companies are more interested in empathy. I've definitely seen that in terms of the new business we get. I think the, the difficulty for many companies and leaders is how, where do I start? You know, yes, I know I need to be empathic. It's a bit like saying to me, oh, I need to go to the gym more. I know that, but I'm too tired or I can't be bothered or I've got, you know, loads of other things I've got to do. And, and that's similar in an organization. There's another load of priorities. So, I think the first thing is to really hold up the mirror. If you're thinking about being more empathic as a company, you've got to measure it. And the the, the 10,000 steps is a really good example because as soon as people started measuring how many steps they did a day, they started thinking, I need to do more steps. So it's the same with the company empathy. You've got to hold up the mirror. And we do that by measuring things like the percentage of time senior versus junior people speak in meetings. You don't want your senior people talking all the time because you're creating a culture of deference, which is counter to a culture of innovation. Other metrics, you know, introverts. We want to hear if everybody needs to have a voice. If you don't want that person to speak, then they shouldn't be at the meeting. If you're going to invite them to a meeting, they should speak and give them a voice. So we measure the amount of time introverts speak. You know, we measure corporate politics, lots of different measures. But the first thing is, if you really want to start thinking about this, you've got to sort of measure empathy. At the risk of asking an obvious question, what is the business case for upping the empathy ante at work? Yeah, I don't think that's an obvious question at all. I mean, as you mentioned, um, I ran a study in the Harvard Business Review to actually answer that question. This was more than five years ago and what we found is that the more empathic companies they make more money whether you split it by by growth by earnings and productivity um, and then Catalyst have recently done some research uh, well not well last year actually it's called the power of empathy in times of crisis and beyond and what they did is they gave us some of the stats that really confirmed the work that I did years earlier um, but what they saw was that there is a 76% of employees with highly empathic leaders report being often or always being engaged compared to 32% of people with less empathic leaders. So nearly double levels of engagement. Burnout, when you look at burnout is much lower when you've got highly empathic leaders. And diversity, and this, this was the thing, We've never seen such um, a link to diversity and had the re we've always known that more empathic companies are more diverse. But what they found was um, a 22 to 58 percentage points difference between increased inclusion and belonging when somebody's manager is empathic. So more empathic companies not just make more money, they have higher levels of engagement, lower burnout, but they're more diverse. So I, I'm specifically thinking about leaders and managers of project teams. Um, and it sounds as though if the leader or manager of a team like that is thinking about empathy, is beginning to sort of delve into it quite seriously, what advice would you give to them about empathy? Do, and what if it doesn't come naturally to them as well? Well, I think we're, we're all work in progress. I mean, you know, I, I have very little empathy for my teenage kids some of the time because <laughs> they just want bacon sandwiches and money from me. 
So I struggle in showing them empathy. You know, I don't think no one's empathetic. Even the Dalai Lama is not empathetic all the time. We're all <laughs> work in progress. And I think that's really important. This, the other thing is, you know, we have to create the conditions for empathy because you can't expect people to show empathy if you don't even talk about it, you don't reward it. So we've just done a project for an energy company in South Africa and we've changed all the operations. So we've piloted empathy across two teams um, and compared that to the performance in the rest of the organization. We changed the way we rewarded them. They had an empathy recognition fund, which was a really small thing where you could buy if you showed me empathy today or, you know, we got a client for a specific, you know, uh, project. I could use the empathy fund and buy you lunch or a cup of coffee. Really small thing. So one, we put in the measurement and reward structure. Secondly, we did empathy training to get the difference between empathy and sympathy. Thirdly, we kind of held up the mirror. So this was about empathy and operations. But you can do this with empathy and projects, how you write, how you manage the clients. You know, there are so many ways. So I think showing people what great empathy looks like, showing people what an empathy deficit looks like. It might be in the process. It might be in the way you write an email, whatever. But if you're leading a project team, really identifying this is great empathy. This is not. And making it a regular part of your conversation. And that's really, really key. It's not a tick box exercise. It takes time. It takes the involvement of people. And you've got to really show people what great empathy looks like. And that could be something so tiny as the way someone's written an email, the way a meeting is conducted, you know, the way a project is delivered. I, could I give you a scenario so that I have a better idea of what it's like in practice? So um, say you have a, a team meeting, a project team meeting, and one of the more junior members on the team raises their hand and points out something they're concerned about on the project, which actually is kind of a brave thing to do. As a team manager, a team leader, what would be the empathetic way to respond to that? And what would be the way not to do it? Well, I think there's there's the way to respond to it. There's also way, the way to raise that issue as well. So I think empathy comes not just from the team managers. It's also the people, everybody. Empathy is everybody's responsibility. So one, if you're giving that feedback, it's really to be, say, look, I really state your intention. So I'm talking about the person giving the criticism or the concern. So one, in terms of how you would do that, one is to state your intention. I really want this project to go well. I really believe in this project um, the issue I've got my concern is about x and what I really want to do is use this forum so that we can explore ways to resolve it okay so that's how I might give the feedback it always has to be with a positive intention this is what I'm trying to do okay the other thing is is it the right forum I don't know the situation but if it's a team meeting that sounds like it is the right forum the way to respond to that is to say okay look right what I want to do is I want to break down that I want to know a little bit more so let's further understand if you've got a concern is it around the relationships in terms of the team composition? Is it about how we, if we can deliver on time? So really drilling down, asking some brilliant questions. That would be my first reaction, is to ask some really questions. Because the problem with a lot of conflict 
is that it all gets bundled up and it all gets into, oh, you know, you just don't like each other or you just don't care about the client or whatever it is. You just don't think it's good. You know, it all gets lumped into a very simplistic thing. So as a really good empathic conversation, I would start drilling down and finding out what the issue is. And then going back to the accountability issue is not trying to solve it. You're the team manager, but your job is not to solve the problems. Your job is give to give people the space and the support to solve them themselves. So don't solve it. Don't fix it. And that is the biggest thing as well that we all do. We all want to fix it, especially me. I mean, what you just said was a revelation to me because I thought of the manager as the person who needed to be focusing on the empathy. But actually, like you say, it's every person on that team who has to have an empathetic kind of mindset how do you go about creating a culture then that that expects empathy so one I think is start small so take a team take a team if it's a project management team so you might for example say right we're going to try we're going to try five empathy nudges in the way we respond to the client the way we kind of speak to each other we're going to put it on our team meeting you know create five or ten empathy nudges so start small is the first thing what are these empathy nudges you're talking about So an empathy nudge is just um, a small shift that you're going to make. You've made a commitment. It might be, right, I'm going to change the way we um, speak to clients in a more empathic tone. It might be the way we run internal meetings or it might be the way we give feedback to each other, to use your earlier example. So you say, right, you sit down, you say, look, empathy is important to this team. What are 10 things we should experiment with our empathy nudges that we think are quite easy to do, not going to cost any of us money, but actually we want to try. So come up with your five or 10 empathy nudges, number one. Keep them small, low cost, high impact. The second thing is then stop measuring that progress. So we always like then... You know, if you've got a client evaluation, so with project, do you get, you know, when, or when you're writing the bid or however you assess these things, you might add an empathy evaluation question in so that you start measuring it or getting feedback from the client or internally about how you're doing. So to put in some kind of measurement. And I think the third thing is to start with tangible things. It might be the way you write a bid. It might be the way that the website is, you know, very tangible. We often start with language. So part of what we do is rewrite a lot of communications for our clients. For one energy company, we rewrote 100 letters. You know, so what we'll do is we'll start in a very tangible area so that people can start to get empathy and think, oh, it's not it's not just about us. It's not just about us having a team hug and, you know, or bringing bringing our dog to the Zoom call. It's much more than that. So the third thing is really make it tangible. So so those are things I would do and do it collaboratively. It's very difficult to change. If you're a team manager, if you're someone, it doesn't matter what level you are. Say, look, do you do we care about this? Should we make this a focus in 2023? Should we have an empathy kickoff meeting? Um, and should we make this a reality? Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, one follow up question from that that intrigued me was about the use of language. So when you're rewriting corporate materials, uh, can you give an example of language that is not empathetic and what that would be changed to? 
Yeah, so the um, example that I shared at the conference was the um, work we did with the UK government around the COVID communications. You know, it was very much the fear-based. If you remember the original COVID comms, it was look him in the eyes, tell him you always keep a safe distance, very scary imagery. And what we did was we said, actually, number one, you've got to recognize what people are doing. Number two, you've got to articulate the why. Why are we doing this? And thirdly, you've got to say what they're doing to make a difference. So the change communications were, you know, every foggy lens is making a difference. This was all about, you know, wearing a mask and your eyes, you know, your, your glasses steam up. So it's again, people just want to know that they're making a difference. They want to connect back to their why. Um, even, you know, Disney, Disney don't call their receptionist receptionist. They call them director of impressions, of first impressions. And I love that because so it might be changing the job titles. That could be a really good, you know, thing. So lots of things we've done about language. But I think language is the most one of the most important tools we have. And it's really underutilized, um, dehumanized in in every industry, not just your industry. My final question would be, what are the individual skills or qualities that you can work on to to be better at being empathetic? So I, one thing that's striking me is must be the power of being able to listen well so that people feel listened to. Um, is Am I right in thinking that? And what would be the other things that you could work on? So I think absolutely. I mean, you can't really have empathy if you don't listen and you just want to tell the other person, you know, what what you think. But I I think there's the differences between listening and agreeing. You don't have to agree with someone. The, The empathy is in the listening. I might not agree with you. You may say something. I do not agree with you, but I've listened to you and you feel heard. You feel visible and you feel that I've taken the time to listen to you. That's not the same thing. So I think listening is key. But I actually think what we need right now is team managers and leaders who can who can lean, you know, really embrace difficult conversations because where empathy is key is when you're having a difficult conversation and that's where you can really start to practice so if you know there's a difficult conversation you've got to have think about it think about how you're going to use, how you what how you're going to state your positive intention how you're going to not sugarcoat but say the facts how you're going to use emotional labeling some of the things i talked about at the conference but there's kind of 10 steps to having a difficult conversation you have to practice these things And for me, what I've seen with the best managers, it's not how much empathy they've got. It's how reflective, how self-reflective and self-aware they are. That makes the biggest progress. And that's what we're looking for here is progress, not perfection. Okay, thanks, Belinda. Was there anything, any last pieces of advice you'd like to pass on to people in projects? A piece of advice would be, we're all work in progress. You know, sometimes you're going to get it right. If you've slept well or you feel good about yourself or you just naturally like the person, you know, that's going to be easy for you. But the challenge is really when things are not going well and making sure that you have those difficult conversations. I think that's really important right now because, you know, it's really difficult for so many people. Cost of living crisis, divisive 
um, pol political situation, it's very difficult. So kind of asking people, do they feel heard? You know, do you feel that I've listened to you or how could I listen to you better? You know, making making um, it really easy and giving people a space where they can tell you whether you've been empathetic or how they want to be more empathic. I think that's really, really important. OK, thanks, Belinda. I want to thank you for your time again, but also to ask if people want to find out more about you and your work, where, where should they go? Well, they, we have a website, theempathybusiness.com, or you can reach out to me, Belinda, at theempathybusiness.com. I, I was lucky enough to meet quite a few of you at the conference. I thought you are an amazing industry, amazing group of people. So, yeah, I'd love to stay in touch. OK, thanks so much. Thank you again. All right. Take care. Thanks again to Belinda for joining us and to you for listening to this episode of the APM podcast. Don't forget to look out for more episodes or to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We'd welcome you to get in touch with your comments, feedback and suggestions by emailing us at apmpodcast at thinkpublishing.co.uk. This podcast has been brought to you by APM, the chartered body for the project profession. For more information on APM, visit apm.org.uk. At Association for Project Management, we know your most important project is your career. But as a project manager, it's not always easy to make Project Me happen. That's where our membership can help. We offer exclusive training, qualifications and learning resources to keep your development on track. Join our 35,000 members and become part of the only chartered membership body for the project profession. Open up your future at apm.org.uk.